Who is God? What does the Bible mean? Why am I lying? What is God's will? I want to understand. Reconnect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Reconnect, the official podcast of Shinjunji, or in English, New Heaven, New Earth. You're once again joined here with me, Ray. How are you? I hope you're doing well wherever you are, wherever you might be listening right now, whatever time of day it might be, whatever time of the week. I hope you're having a, a very awesome uh, start to your day or finish to your day. Wow, there's so many options. But I hope you're doing well overall. I'm doing pretty good too, and I'm happy to be back in front of the mic to be able to share a brand new episode with you because if you're hearing my voice, that's kind of what I do. So to get right into it, you know, over the past few episodes, uh, we've been talking a lot here on Reconnect about how God is always moving forward towards his goal, that being able to reconnect with his creation after it was essentially stolen from him by one of his servants, a spirit he created to be perfect, but who became arrogant. And as a result of that greed and that pride, that spirit wanted to be God. And so he deceived Adam and Eve, whom God had placed in charge of his physical creation. When Adam broke the covenant he had with God by choosing to receive those deceptive words of the serpent into his heart, rather than being obedient to the creator, God, you know, we can now understand that the spirit in him changed. While he was obedient to God, God's spirit was with him. This is the same as God's word. We can be sure of this because according to John chapter 1 verse 1, God and his word are synonymous. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We can see the same thing in Jesus' own words in John 6, 63, where it says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. So when Adam and Eve were created, they only knew God's word. The spirit within them was born of God's breath of life, that is, God's word. As a result, they were filled with God's spirit and were described by God, who is a spirit, to be formed in his image and likeness. This is according to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. But once they received the words of the serpent, it was as if a different seed had been planted in the fields of their hearts. The imagery I'm using to describe this process is, of course, dealt with in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And you should go and check it out when you have time, but... You know, it's also something that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. In John 3, Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. And during their conversation, he says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. This is in John chapter 3, verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So when God's spirit, that is also God's word, is within us, our spirits are born in the image and likeness of God. But when we mix other words in there, be they words from popular commentaries or even the words resulting from our own misunderstanding, can we be certain that our spirits are still born in the image and likeness of God? According to the passage we just read, John 3, 6, the terrifying answer is no. After Adam and Eve chose to believe the words of the serpent over the words of God, something changed in them. In the beginning, God, by breathing his breath of life into them, had created them in his image and likeness. I mean, take a moment and think about that. How can you get more like God than being made in his image and likeness? And having them sit back and say, yeah, that's good. (laughs) 
As what it says in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, God, the creator, made man in his image and likeness, and then he said it was good. After that, in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent suggests that Adam and Eve need to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to somehow become more like God. Immediately, we should be able to recognize a lie, right? But for Adam and Eve, they were deceived. They chose to take the words of the serpent, believe them, and as a result, act on them. That's the rub right there, right? We can know the words of God, but if we don't act on them, it is a clear sign that we don't really believe them. On the other hand, if we choose to act on the words of somebody else, it shows that we do actually believe those words. I mean, I mean, please keep this in the back of your head because we're going to come back to this point later and discuss what James has to say about it. In order to undo the damage caused to his precious creation that he loves so much, that means you and I, God fulfilled all of the promises he made to the Old Testament prophets. The words he spoke to them being an actual physical man, Jesus. This is why in John chapter 114, we see Jesus being called the word that became flesh. This was God's word sent to us because he loved us so much, so much that he sent us this amazing letter of love. Through Jesus, we can know the word of God again. Words that, according to the prophecies God gave Ezekiel and Isaiah, were sealed and unknowable or unreadable before Jesus appeared. It was only through Jesus that one was able to understand what God had been talking about through those promises in the Old Testament. Every other teaching about God's truth at that time became obsolete because the meaning God had intended to communicate through his prophets, that is, the details of his plan and his will for those who truly believed in him and had faith in his word, well, was available only through Jesus. We also spoke about how we, as Christians, followers of Christ, are people who believe he was sent by God and that he is a sign set up by God showing the way to the new thing that God has promised to create on the earth. And if you remember, I'm referring to the prophecies recorded in Jeremiah chapter 31 and Isaiah chapter 7. That new thing is something that believers in the New Testament were waiting for. It's what Jesus was talking about when he spoke about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13 and Mark 4. It is the place he told his disciples he was going to prepare when he left them 2,000 years ago. And it is the place to which he will gather us when he returns, according to the promises in John chapter 14. It is the same place where the new covenant that Jesus made with his disciples at the Last Supper is fulfilled. The place where we can eat and drink the figurative flesh and blood of Jesus with him again. If you're interested in learning more about these things, please feel free to reach out to us here at Reconnect Podcast. And for those of you who have been listening for a while, as I'm sure you know, we have many study groups or one-on-one studies available. And you're welcome to join us. For more insight into the whole issue of flesh and blood of Jesus, also referred to as the bread and wine, take a look at John chapter 6. And you might be surprised to learn that these things are symbolic. Nobody really ate Jesus' flesh or drank his blood. And his body certainly wasn't made of bread, nor his blood wine. Of course, as I'm sure you already suspect, these things are symbols for his word, which as we have come to understand, is God's word. Now, we've already spoken about all this before, but I kind of want to do this this bit of review before coming back to the crux of the matter. We know that God is always moving forward towards his goal. 
We know that from history, at various times, people have had to make the choice to make big changes in order to move with him. We know that these changes have always been made known to people through God's chosen people, the prophets. And of course, we know that there are changes yet to come before God's will is finally accomplished. We know that we too will have to change. But then with all the recent talk we've had about how God has judged the generations who broke their covenant and worked to save and preserve those who chose to believe the messengers he sent. I mean, <laughs> just think about the time of Noah, right? That's some serious judgment. So knowing all of that and knowing that history is a warning for us, Again, in case you need to remember, that's in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. The question I want to explore today is, will God forgive me or any of us if we fail? Will God forgive us if we mess up and find that we are one of those who have perhaps filled our hearts up with words that are not his? Now, I realize I've been talking a while already, and I don't want to draw this out over two episodes. So I want to be absolutely sure that you know the answer to this question. It is a resounding, unequivocal yes. Yes, God can and will forgive anyone who comes to him for forgiveness. Yes, God forgives. But that forgiveness is not without conditions. And considering what these conditions are, there is a wonderful example of precisely this situation in the Gospels. John chapter 3, which we visited earlier in this episode. It describes the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. Remember, the Pharisees were some of the most prominent teachers of the law. They were the people who were devoutly trying to keep the old covenant God had made with Moses. They did so through generation upon generation of tradition and interpretation. Through the prophet Isaiah, God made it clear that the people who didn't understand what the prophecies of the Old Testament meant, and who therefore did not recognize the fulfillment when it came, Jesus, the word made flesh, were not worshiping him, but simply following rules taught by men. Isaiah 29, 13 says this. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Jesus reiterates the same idea when he rebukes other members of the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, verses 5 to 8. We don't have time to read all of that now, So, but basically, I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it for you. <laughs> basically, Jesus follows this citation, that, that prophecy in Isaiah, with a rebuke. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Now, when Nicodemus, a devout Pharisee, comes to Jesus at night and seems to ask for clarity on who Jesus is and what he is doing, Jesus replies by telling him to be born again. It is within this context that we find both that verse telling us how we are to be born again, that is, spiritually, through the Spirit and Word of God, and also the reason why Jesus was sent, that most popular of all Bible verses, John 3.16. I mean, that is the whole reason that Jesus was sent, the whole reason that God sent Jesus. Yes, the covenant was broken. People like you and I, in full sincerity and ignorance, have been doing their best to follow what they thought was God's word. But it had actually just been the words of men, rules and teaching and interpretations made by men. So it was to these people, the lost sheep of Israel, that Jesus was sent because God so loved the world. Of course God can forgive us, but we need to be prepared to be born again. 
We need to be prepared to receive God's truth so that we can be sanctified or born again. Well, that's a lot of gospel lingo. But basically, Jesus told us in John 17, 17, that we can only be sanctified through the truth. And God's word is truth. This is the same as being born again, created again through God's spirit in God's image and likeness. Like in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, Paul writes to believers in Ephesus and tells them, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This whole putting off and on of selves is accomplished through God's word. By truly understanding what God's word is saying and what God's will is, we are able to make a clear choice about whether we believe his word or not. If we believe it, then we are saying it is truthful and some degree of authority. This is the same in all spirits of human knowledge, right? Somebody who has worked in a laboratory testing scientific theories ultimately is able to determine which theory is truthful and which is not. The theory that is truthful is one that ultimately will determine how people act in the real world. Let me give you an example. When we have a headache, right? We take a certain type of medication because we act according to what we believe to be true. If the foundation of this kind of truth is God's word, then we will act like God. We, like the people to whom God was writing in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, are being made new in the attitude of our minds. No longer like our old selves, but now created in the likeness of God. And of course, once we begin this process, God is able to forgive us for any of our past failures. So again, will God forgive us, you, me, or anyone if we sin? Of course. Will he forgive us if we recognize that we have broken our covenant of obedience, love, and trust with him? Yes. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> because he loves us so much more than we can imagine. But remember, God's forgiveness is not without conditions. And he's given us his word for a reason. And, well, we return to what we spoke about in the beginning. While discussing the way in which Adam and Eve were changed after choosing to believe the words of the serpent, I mentioned that humans act on what they believe. A passage I want you to keep in mind is James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Amen. It is not enough to read or listen to the word of God. We need to do what it says. Part of that doing is keeping the covenant that we have with God. This doing means that we really believe it. It means that God's words are within us and define us in our actions. It means that we are, at least to some degree, being born again and shaped into God's image and likeness. 
This is what Apostle Paul is describing in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. As a renewal of our minds, the result of worshiping God in spirit and in truth and drinking the living water that Jesus claimed flowed from himself in John chapter 4. But this is a whole <laughs> other topic, isn't it? And we will definitely be back to take a look at this in a later episode. Uh, best believe I'll be looking forward to it. For now, let's keep it a bit simple. God's word is the same as a spirit. If its word lives in us, that means it works through us as a combination of knowledge, faith, and action in our lives. Then that means we are, at least to the degree that we know, believe, and act, are being renewed and born again in the image of God. The fact that such a renewal is even possible is proof that God offers forgiveness even when we fail, if we are prepared to change. If you look at the contents of the new covenant as it is described in uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses uh, 10 and 11, yeah. God says that he will write his word on the hearts and minds of his people. Remember, God's word is a spirit according to John 6, 63, and it is that spirit that gives birth to a new spirit within us according to John 3, 6. In order for us to be forgiven, we need to basically do what we have been told to do since Jesus first spoke about the forgiveness of God in the Gospels. Remember Nicodemus? We don't know what happened to him. Did he accept Jesus' explanation? Did he walk out into the night after their conversation and get any sleep at all? <laughs> Whatever happened to him, well, we need to think about ourselves more. What about me? Am I able to let go of the traditions that might be holding me back from truly being born again? Are you? Well, if today's topic has spoken to you, and I, I really hope that it has, if you've been able to look into the mirror of God's word and found that there is something in your heart or life that you would like to change, well, if you find yourself wanting to really apply it to the exhortation of Paul in Colossians 3.10, and I'll read it for you. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Then please reach out to us immediately. We're right here working on new episodes for you. Believe me, we are working on new episodes for you. But honestly, no number of podcast episodes are going to give you that depth of understanding and insight than an organized systematic study of the Bible. Believe me on that one. At Shinchanji, we take the instructions of the new covenant to have God's word sealed in our hearts and minds very seriously. If you would like to talk to somebody about better understanding the Bible with no cost, no risk to you or expectation from our part, please don't hesitate to contact us. We will be happy to put you in touch with someone. Definitely. And as we come to the end of another episode, I'd like to remind everyone to please like, subscribe. And if this episode has really touched you, feel free to share it with others. Yes, Reconnect Podcast makes a very good gift. <laughs> and until next time, where we have a brand new episode for you, I have been Ray, and you've been listening to Reconnect. We'll see you all next time. Have a good